Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, this is episode three of Plus Plus Podcast. Hooray! Um, I'm Jason Kevler. And I'm Ankita Rao. This is Motherboard's show that takes you into the field with our reporters. If you want something a little more uh, loosey-goosey, you can check out Radio Motherboard. Um, but yeah, uh, this week's episode comes to you from me and Joseph Cox, who is our security reporter in Berlin. What is going on in Berlin? Nothing's like particularly going on in Berlin, but... Joseph is our security reporter, and he downloaded an Android spyware application for $170 and then tracked himself with it for about a week. So he spied on himself. He spied on himself because spying on other people is illegal. (laughs) And so he wanted to show the capabilities of this spyware. And in the course of reporting this, uh, I found, well, I kind of worked on this with Joseph, and I found a victim whose ex-husband spied on her for like several years. Wow. Well, have you gone through this kind of stuff before? Have you ever worried that you were being spied on? I've never worried that I've been spied on. I think I've had sort of like uh, worries that people will see my email or text messages or something, but never, never worried that I've been spied on by anyone. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I, I have been very recently worried that someone was looking at my email. Tell me more. (laughs) I don't know. I I don't want to give too many details, obviously, but I, um, there was somebody who just seemed to know more about my life than I remember telling them and things that I know that I've emailed about. And so I started getting pretty, pretty freaked out about it. And, um, luckily work at a place with a bunch of cybersecurity geeks and had them, uh, help me check out if I was getting Hacked. I guess that's different than spied on, but yeah. But surveilled in some some form or the other. (laughs) Um, So we're going to learn all about how it works. Uh, First, I'm going to talk to Joseph about what he did, and then we're going to talk to the victim about her experiences. Just a warning to our listeners, this episode discusses sexual assault and domestic abuse. This week's episode comes to you from me and Motherboard security reporter Joseph Cox, who recently investigated the sketchy world of smartphone spyware. For $170, Joseph was able to buy software called SpyPhone Android Rec Pro, cool name, from a company in Poland. He then used the spyware to track himself for a few days around Berlin. From across the ocean in New York, I tested out its capabilities. First, I called up Joseph and then intercepted the call. 
This is what the intercepted call sounded like. Hey, Justin. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, all good, all good. Can you hear me okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, we are intercepted as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this call is being recorded by my malware, which will then beam off to a server, and you'll be able to log in and listen to the content of it whenever you want. Yeah, you sound pretty clear, so hopefully I can use this little podcast. For the rest of this show's segments with Joseph, his audio comes directly from the phone. All of it was captured using the spyware on the phone itself, and then it was sent to me. My audio is recorded separately in our studio in New York, just for clarity's sake. Um, so tell me a little bit, like, how did you find this company, and, and how does this spyware work? So, first of all, I was looking into companies that sell devices to break into your phone, as in get past the, uh, the passcode. We found a website that markets itself for detectives, and it was also selling this software that could intercept phone calls or remotely turn on the microphone. So we bought that for $170, pretty cheap, considering what it's capable of, and put it onto a phone, and yeah, it totally works, all of it. So I just got an old Android device, like a typical one that plenty of people would have, downloaded the malware onto it, and then spent a, uh, a touristy day out in Berlin for the afternoon, walking around the usual attractions, buying a sandwich, and all that time, the phone was recording my GPS location and sending off to this uh, server to generate a report. It also intercepted my text messages, my phone calls, and as you say, we also remotely turned on the microphone. So basically, wherever I went, whoever I communicated with, the phone was keeping tabs on it. One day, when Joseph went out to lunch in Berlin with Motherboard Germany editor Max Hoppenstadt, I sent his phone a text message from New York that remotely triggered its microphone, then sent me the file when I told it to stop recording. Okay, no, it might be recording. <laughs> it might be, yeah. Does that mean you can talk about something else or something? You probably should. We, we, we could casually chat about this, this drug dealer story that you have dealt with in the past. This recording. <laughs> I wish we had those menus. Um, yeah, you can talk in generic terms. Joseph writes about government surveillance technology and hacking all the time, and even he wasn't expecting this to actually work. At the very least, he wasn't expecting the company to sell it to him, just a random guy. I mean, I was expecting when we bought it from this detective company that they would say, hey, who are you? Are you a licensed private detective? What sort of legitimate use do you have for this software? But no, they don't care. You send them the money, they'll send you a link to download the malware, and then it's it. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. There's no sort of oversight or regulation or any sort of technical barriers in place to stop any sort of abuse or just anyone purchasing it. I think that was the thing that really surprised me, just how readily available this malware, which basically has some of the same capabilities as a government piece of malware, is just so easily accessible to anybody with an internet connection. Can you tell me a little bit about the installation process? Like how long did it take? Um, and is there any sign that the phone is bugged after it's installed? So when I first did it, it took me a couple of minutes. I had to visit a specific website in the web browser of the phone, uh, download an APK as an Android application. And then I had to turn off a security setting that would let me install 
apps from unknown sources, then you install the app, enter your subscription code, and that's it. So yeah, that took me a few minutes, but I was in no rush, I was just figuring it out. If I knew what I was doing, I had practiced beforehand, it would be certainly under a minute. If uh, the opportunity arose, you could install that on somebody's phone within seconds. For us, this was a fun experiment. We just wanted to see what its capabilities were. But for thousands of people, mostly women, this type of surveillance is a matter of life and death, a means that their partners use to control their lives and watch their every move. I called Cindy Southworth, founder of the Safety Net Technology Project at the National Network to End Domestic Violence, to talk about what she has seen in her work. So I founded the Safety Net Technology Project 17 years ago to look at the intersection of technology and gender-based violence. So domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, trafficking, dating abuse, etc. And what we were seeing in 2000 was that abusers were starting to use what was then called sort of net nannies and family safety software to monitor their adult victims of domestic violence. And since 2000, the spyware market has just um, expanded exponentially. There are hundreds to thousands of manufacturers creating really malicious software. Cindy put me in touch with the woman who started being surveilled by her ex-husband soon after they decided to divorce. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to call her Jessica. We're protecting her identity because she worries her ex-husband might try to surveil her in the future. I was leaving my ex-husband, and he knew I was wanting to leave. We had agreed to be uh, to continue to live together for the sake of our kiddos, but to um, we lived in separate rooms in the house, and we were separated for all intents and purposes. But um, I mean, I guess it's not entirely true. Frankly, there there was some back and forth, like, are we going to stay together? Or are we not? Which I think is pretty natural in those relationships, especially um, domestic violence cases where people find it hard to hard to leave. So there was definitely some, some back and forth. I knew that he was continually aware of my whereabouts and he would get really anxious if he thought I was going somewhere where there would be other men and he would was constantly sort of giving me, I was picking up that he seemed to know more about my daily activities than he should know. At first, Jessica's ex-husband bothered her friends, calling them to see where Jessica was or texting them just to kind of keep tabs on her. But then suddenly that stopped. I think it started when he felt like he was losing tabs or losing control. He, you know, as I would get a little bit smarter, like put a password on my phone and when he would ask for it because he wanted to fix something on my phone or do something and I would start to say no, I think eventually he had to get savvier about getting the information he had always probably taken liberty to, to have. He went from constantly questioning my friends to seeming to just already know where I was at and what I was doing and knowing the contents of conversations. And he would sort of make that apparent to me, whether he was doing it on purpose or not, I, I don't know. But at some point I was like, 
I clued into it and then tried to be really careful about remembering where I had specific conversations and I was trying to figure out how he could, was piecing it all together. And at one point I confronted him about something that he was saying to me and I said, There's, how would you possibly know that? And he eventually admitted to having a keystroke logger on my computer. And so he pulled it up on my laptop and told me he was taking it off. He told Jessica the keystroke logger was gone, but Jessica realized that he still knew where she was. And I was going, hmm, that can't be off of my computer. And it was the first time I had a smartphone. I think this was January and February of 2011. That's when this started. Maybe December. I had just gotten my smart first smartphone ever at the beginning of December. Used my phone for something and told me he was, um, the word was rooting it. And I so I was like Googling what it meant to root your phone. I was like, why is he doing that? And he was like, you'll just be able to put more software that you like on it. And I'm like, I just use my phone for texting. I don't know what you're talking about. And then one time his laptop was open and I saw the contents of one of my text message conversations in like a, um, when a computer's being repaired and you have to go to like the C prompt or like the old screens. It was sort of that right. format. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, he, <laughs> he really does know what's on. Uh, but he always denied that. And he said it was just from when he was helping me work on my phone. And I had kind of thought that he, that that wasn't happening anymore. He had promised me it wasn't. And I don't know why I believed him. Her ex promised that he had stopped surveilling her. But one day when the two went to dinner at a friend's house, things came to a head. He seemed to be really agitated. What I didn't know, I was texting a romantic interest I had that I wasn't with, but we were being flirty on the phone and sending some pretty um, flirty text messages back and forth. During dinner, he seemed to be getting really agitated. And then we left dinner relatively abruptly. He wanted to leave. And in the car, he got really mad at me for being flirty with the guy that we were at dinner with, the other, um, the male part of the other couple. And it was absurd to me because I, I wasn't being flirty with him. And so I couldn't figure out where all his anger and rage was coming from. And um, I know that when we went home that night, he was downstairs in his man cave on his computer before he came upstairs because he was chatting with me, asking if he could come upstairs and his um, a, a somewhat irrelevant but another layer of complexity is that his dad had died that day. And so he was saying that he was, it, it, the long and short of it was that he was insinuating that he was suicidal and he's like, I just need to sleep in a room next to you. I don't need to, you know, um, to be with you. And I was still mad about him, you know, accusing me of being flirty with, with our friend and being so over the top and calling me names in front of the children that I told him he could come up and he could sleep in our bedroom, but that, you know, I was extremely clear in these messages back and forth that nothing was going to happen. Don't even, you know, touch me basically. Uh, but if that's what you need to get through the night, fine. Later that evening, he sexually assaulted me. And when he, when it was going on, he said, you think you're so cute and referenced a couple of the text messages that I was sending to this guy earlier in the evening. And, you know, so as it was happening, I was like, oh shit, he's known exactly what I was texting all day long.
After she was assaulted, Jessica left the house. She says her ex-husband apologized at first, but continued to try to find ways to control her and her phone use. Another, I was afraid he would assault me again, and I was also afraid that he was going to kill me or kill the kids or kill himself. He was just really out of control at that time. And so I eventually left. She studied up on spyware and started taking safety measures that she considered at the time to be paranoid. She went to local police, who she said were great, but they didn't really know how to handle the spyware aspect of her case, and she couldn't afford to get an independent analysis of her phone by a forensics expert. I, I really hesitate to say anything negative because the local police department has been so instrumental in helping me be safe. So I, I don't, I really only have the most positive things to say about them, but I feel like they had no clue how to help me with that piece at all. Um, when I first spoke to an officer, he genuinely looked at me like I had several heads and told me to take it to the local Verizon store and see what they had to say. And you took it to Verizon and they're like, yeah, it's totally possible. <laughs> and then I go back to the police and they're saying, you know, well, you know, they basically didn't have any resources or know what to do with it. But I would reset my phone and in a matter of sometimes days, sometimes weeks, I would start to pick up again that it was pretty clear to me that he still knew more than he should. But I could never really pinpoint if it was for sure from my phone or from my computer. You, The more you try to get help or communicate it with somebody, you realize that you sound like a complete crazy person, especially if you think five, six years ago. At one point, Jessica's ex-husband turned off her phone, which was against the terms of their divorce proceedings. He eventually turned the service back on and sent her a message. I see you. Like if I was, you know, going somewhere and I wasn't where I said I was going to be, he would text me, I see you. So... It was sort of this like creepy, chilling feeling like he always knew what I was doing and where I was going. The surveillance took over every aspect of her life. She tried all sorts of strategies to evade her ex. She put her phone in what's called a Faraday bag, which blocks the cell phone signal. She also at times wrapped her phone in tinfoil or removed the battery when she went to meet the police. I would find myself having conversations with my cell phone in the room I shouldn't have had with my cell phone in the room because you just get lazy, you get tired of being that vigilant and and frankly of feeling a little paranoid. But just at some point I'm like, I don't care if he listens to every conversation I ever have, which is dangerous and stupid, but it just is such a burden. Still, her phone would end up getting infected. With a few years of distance, Jessica thinks her ex was sending links to spyware hidden in email messages sent from her young daughter's email address. My daughter was six or seven at the time and she said mommy how come everything that happens at our house I get to daddy's house and he already knows it happened and it was just such a sad moment for me because it was obvious to her that her dad was that you know all-knowing and powerful about what goes on in inside this house and, is, and she um, sort of got frustrated and, and couldn't explain herself and couldn't was like, I just don't know how it happens, is what she would say. Like, And I said, you know, do you think maybe you tell him things and you forget that you tell him and then he brings it up again? And she said, no, it's not like that at all. He just already knows. Jessica's story is just one of many, according to Cindy Southworth. The tactics that abusers use have changed, but it's still the same general power dynamic that we've seen for centuries. 
domestic violence is all about power and control and having absolute power and control over the other person in your life, knowing everything about what they're doing, where they're going, who they're talking to, what decisions they're making or what they're allowed to make. And so before we were all carrying smartphones, abusers would check the odometer on the car and demand, where did you go today? I told you you weren't allowed to leave the house, even to go to the grocery store. Um, Now that we do so much with a phone in our pocket or in our purse, we have a digital footprint that is pretty robust. The ability for an abuser or a stalker to know so much more about our activities is, is really facilitated because we have this digital life. But the behavior is not new. It's just the tools are are more accessible. It's extended the reach of an abuser. But the actual monitoring behavior has been there for millennia. That's not new behavior. The phone's making it sort of more effective. We don't actually have estimates of how many individual unique victims are experiencing that. Just there's there's across the nation in the United States um, in one day, the local domestic violence shelter hotline movement they help 72,000 adult and child victims in one day. So as you can imagine, it would be a colossal experience to try to survey those frontline, those individual survivors. What we have done is we surveyed in 2012 and then also in 2014, we did an additional survey and got more detailed information. We went out to the victim service providers, those frontline victim advocates, staff in a hotline 24 hours a day, and we asked them, what are you on the ground. And we specifically asked, are our abusers monitoring victims' computer use? Are they monitoring location? And 71% of local victim service providers said that abusers are monitoring their victims' computer use. Law enforcement still doesn't do a great job of investigating these crimes. In 2014, a company called Stealth Genie was fined $500,000 by the Department of Justice for selling spyware. They're still the only smartphone spyware company ever fined in the United States. Cindy says the FBI needs to do a better job of enforcing laws that are already on the books, and tech companies need to make it as difficult as possible for this sort of spyware to be installed. Meanwhile, Cindy and Jessica both say women should trust their instincts. If you feel you're being surveilled, you should trust that. And the greater security community needs to take smartphone spyware way more seriously. The problem with these domestic violence cases, stalking cases, and all of that sort of thing, the threat level is so hard to give advice for because you don't know, looking from the outside in, how much privacy the target has, uh, whether they have any financial independence to buy a second phone. It's so much more complicated than people think than just, hey, update your phone and don't let your spouse uh, get hold of it because that's just not how domestic violence or abuse works. Right, and it's often like there, there's often this power dynamic at play where uh, you know hiding your phone from your spouse or something might result in further abuse. Yeah, I mean, if you take steps to avoid their surveillance, it's not like the abuser is just going to go, okay, yeah, sure, fair enough, I'll stop. It's probably going to antagonize them and just make everything a hell of a lot worse. Uh, I think when members of the uh, security community say stuff like, oh, this malware is worthless because you need physical access to the device, they're not understanding the threat that this actually poses to domestic violence victims in particular. Not all of these companies are in the US. I mean, the one we bought from was in Poland. And what jurisdiction does the US government have over a random Polish malware seller? Absolutely none. When all of these companies or many of these companies are international, 
I, I don't see any hope for regulation when another can just spring up in Turkey or another can spring up in Ukraine. Um, ultimately, it's going to be a whack-a-mole game. The spyware companies certainly aren't policing themselves. One company called Hello Spy used to advertise software with a photo of a woman being thrown off a bed. Another image on their website shows a woman with her face cut and bruised. As part of this story, Joseph called up customer service for a company called Mobistealth. Here's his conversation. And uh, he warned me. He had to record this using speakerphone, so there's a little bit of heavy breathing. Hey, uh, my name's uh, Joseph Cox. I'm a journalist calling from Vice. I just had a couple of quick questions about Moby Stealth, if that's okay. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I appreciate that you could use this to monitor your employees or maybe your children. I mean, could I use this to spy on, say, my wife or uh, my lover or someone like that? Well, yes, as long as they're the member of your family or a close uh, member uh, on your, let's say, yes, on your family, on your company, you can actually use the application as long as you have access on the Sure, sure. I mean, for legal reasons, do I need to get their permission first, or if I buy the product, I can just put it on their phone? Yes, you can do that. Sure, even if I don't get their permission first, as long as I have physical access to the device. Yes, sir. Sure. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Cheers. Bye. Are you aware that a lot of these companies that sell the spyware advertise it expressly for this purpose? Yes. It's disgusting. They have these little legal disclaimers on their websites that say, you know, that it's only to be used for legal purposes, but they're advertising it and appealing to, you know, frankly, to abusers. Well, that was unsettling. It was, yes. Uh, while I was reporting this and while Joseph was telling me about it, all everything about it was pretty scary, I think. Yeah. Is there anything you think that you've learned or, like, know on how to protect yourself better now from reporting this? I think I just learned that uh, both Cindy and Jessica told me to sort of trust your instincts I guess so if you think something is wrong probably something is wrong yeah I think it's interesting because a lot of times we talk about this at a very high level of hacking and being spied on like NSA stuff Um, and then you start to realize how easy it is to do right now in your just personal relationships and your personal life yeah Joseph made the really good point that people in the security community kind of say that this sort of software is not a big problem because it's not terribly sophisticated and you need uh you often need physical access to a phone to have it, but for people who are in situations like this, like their partners have access to their phones, and so we shouldn't discount it, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, on that note... <laughs> yeah, we'll have another ep- episode in a week. Um, this episode was produced by me, Jason Kebler, and Joseph Cox. And I'm Ankita Rao. If you want to learn more about the story, you can check out Joseph's full article on Motherboard. It's 
called I Track Myself with $170 smartphone spyware that anyone can buy. Thanks, guys. See you next week. You forgot to talk about our music. The music is still really good, and it's still by Paul Chin. I think we have to say every episode. Do we? I think so. Okay. Our music by Paul Chin. Our album art is by Chase Saita. You can check out her work online. And yes, we'll be back with an episode next week. Bye, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.